The reading is from Romans chapter 10, which is, you can find page 1137 in your Bibles, verses 14 to 21. <clears throat> How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe how can they believe in the one who they have not heard? And how can they hear with someone preaching to them? Without someone preaching to them, sorry. And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. This is the word of the Lord. The reading from today is taken from Matthew 16, verse 13 to 20, and the if you don't know which page it's on, it's, it's on 983. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth, we bound in heaven. And whatever you lose on earth, we lose in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of the word. And thank you for your gift to us in the person of Jesus Christ, his death, resurrection, and ascension made your permanent presence, a reality in the person of your spirit. And we pray now, Lord, that uh, you will minister to each and every one of us and bless us, that we may go out and be sources of blessings to others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
let me begin by thanking Eddie for uh, accepting that I come to uh, preside at this service this evening, and the uh, senior wardens, and Kathy, who've been sort of in communication with me for the past uh, two weeks. It's a privilege to be with you all this evening. Let me make one observation. I'm happy to see that uh, the congregation is really mixed. And I am more even excited to see that uh, we have a good number of uh, Africans here. You may be British Africans, <laughs> but you are here. And it is uh, an encouragement. Uh, what I have always advocated for is for people who come to Christ to be where they are and just share and learn. Uh, in the kingdom of God, we are all equal. God loves us equally. So thank you, and I pray that uh, you will reach out and get more people because we cannot leave it to Eddie and his team alone for the church to grow. We all got to play our parts, and these are some of the things I'll be sharing with you this evening. A confirmation service offers an opportunity to the candidates and also to those who are still searching and wanting to know and become followers of Jesus Christ. And therefore, I have, since my consecration as bishop, I have always seen a confirmation service as a day of decision. A day of decision for those being confirmed who are yet to make up their minds, and a day of rededication for those of us who are already disciples and we are living out our faith in Jesus Christ. And it is with that in mind that the lessons were carefully selected for this service. One question I'll be putting to all of us this evening is the same question Jesus put to his disciples. The first part of that question was general. Who do the people say the Son of Man is? It was a deliberate question. And following on from there, Jesus now put a particular and a specific question to his disciples. But who do you say I am? So let's look at the popular opinion about Jesus. The disciples gave an answer. 
As I said earlier on, this question was a strategic question because the people had been following Jesus. They had been listening to his teachings. They had actually witnessed some of his miracles. But they did not believe in him. And Jesus did not want to downplay this reality because he came that people may repent and be born again. It wasn't happening. And so he asked the disciples and the disciples gave an answer. They think you're a prophet. That's what we've heard. <laughs> uh, like John the Baptist, because you proclaimed the kingdom and called people to repentance, which was what John the Baptist was doing. Oh, some say, well, you are like Elijah. <coughs> because Jesus, you've been demonstrating supernatural power like Elijah did. And even some, like Jeremiah, because the character and conduct of Jesus were prophetic. So the general opinion was accurate, but inadequate. I watched my lips. It was accurate, but inadequate. The generality of the people did not consider Jesus to be the Messiah, even though they knew about the coming of the Messiah. So the high view of Jesus was the wrong view of Jesus. It is wrong to view Jesus as just a wise rabbi or teacher, a great prophet, or a miracle worker. It is wrong. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus is not in a class among many. He is not the head of the class. <laughs> Jesus is in a class by himself. And haven't listened to the popular, the general opinion of Jesus. Jesus now decided to be personal. But before we go to that, don't worry, before we go to that, I want to remind us that this situation has not changed. We have over a billion Muslims today in the world. This is still their view of Jesus, a great prophet. The theologians amongst them have been struggling, particularly when it comes to the concept of sin, because the Quran is very clear. So this situation has not changed. 
a lot of Jews today still see him as a prophet. Yes, he worked miracles, but something is wrong. You know, that's, that again is not new. If you look at St. John's Gospel, chapter 10, John gives us a different version of this story. Yes, prophet. And they disagreed among themselves. Well, he must be a sinner. And some of them said, well, a sinner cannot be doing these things that Jesus is doing. So there was confusion. And there is still confusion among the Jews today. So in the general opinion, the people were confused about Jesus. And Jesus, therefore, by asking his disciples, wanted to know where they stood. And it's exactly the same question he puts to all of you being confirmed today. Where do you stand? Who is Jesus? What do you think of Jesus? As Charles Spurgeon says in one of his brilliant books, it matters little what others say about Jesus, whether they are right or wrong. But what is your opinion? That's the question I put to you. You've been through the confirmation classes. Your parents have read some of your testimonies. You've been coming to church with your parents. And as an evangelical congregation, you've been listening to the gospel. You've been listening to testimonies. And today, the congregation is asking you, who is Jesus? Who do you say that I am? You know, this question is emphatic. You, Jesus says to his disciples. And then it was a big test for the disciples. Why was it a big test? The situation then it's not the same as the situation today. We are on this side of the empty tomb. They were on the other side of the empty tomb. Jesus was yet to die, to be buried, and to be raised. So it actually was a big test for the disciples. So they here were confronted with the question of the identity of Jesus without having all the evidence. We have all the evidence. The tomb is empty. <laughs> Jesus is risen. Jesus is ascended. The Holy Spirit is present in us. He's present right here. We have the evidence but the disciples did not have that evidence. So, the question Jesus put to his disciples was a question 
calling them to faith. And it is a question every person must answer. It is a question those of you being confirmed today must respond to if you haven't. You know why it is so crucial? Why it is so important? It is because your response, your answer, will make the difference between life and death, between salvation and judgment, and between heaven and hell. It is your response. Who is Jesus? Peter's answer on behalf of the disciples is rooted in, the, in his personal conviction. Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Brothers and sisters, this is the great confession every disciple makes. This is because Christianity, and I want you to please listen to this and compare with what is going on around us today in many congregations. Christianity, brothers and sisters, is not about a ritual of worship. It is not a body of doctrine or a code of conduct. It's not a sharia. Christianity is about a person. Christianity is about Christ. And Christ is God. There is no way an evangelical believer of Jesus Christ can compromise that. So friends, brothers and sisters, how we answer this question is critical. Uncertainty equates to unbelief at this point. If you are uncertain, something is missing. It is unbelief. In Kaduna Diocese, where I served, my second diocese, for all the confirmation candidates, I used to put this question to them, and I put it to you. I'll give you a clue, though. Christianity is one of the many world great religions, like Islam, Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, all the isms, right? So, what makes a person a Christian? In a world of pluralism, in a world where nothing is absolute, many no longer believe in absolutes. And I once heard a bishop describe it as pluriformity. 
I had to go and check my dictionary to look for the meaning of that. That's the world we live in today. I decide what life is. <laughs> so in this type of world, what is it that makes one a Christian? Four clues. One, believe in the doctrine of, I won't start from there, hold it. The first thing that makes Jesus Christ unique is believe that Jesus is God in flesh. Big theological term for that is incarnation. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. And Paul makes that very clear in his epistle to the Colossians, chapter 1 and verse 15. Please take note, I would love for you to read it. We don't have the time to read all that. Colossians 1.15. You have to believe that Jesus is God in flesh. Number two. You have to believe the doctrine of the Trinity. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 20. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That is the unique nature of the Christian faith. When you meet an Arab Christian, because of the predominance of Islam, the Arab will tell you, Bismillahi, wal ibni wa ruhu al-Qudus, Allah wahid. God Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and he will have to capital one God. You know why? <laughs> If you don't believe in God as Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we have to question your profession of the Christian faith. Number three, you have to believe and accept justification by faith. Paul makes that very clear in his epistle to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. I want you to read it. It is by grace justification by grace. You do not need any sharia. You do not need law. The law you need is the law of love. But it is not cheap love. <laughs> and the fourth, this is very crucial, to imitate Jesus. You can check that out from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. Imitate Jesus. I'm sure those of you who are old enough will remember the band we wear on our wrists. What does it say? Who will remind us here? I can hear you. Say it again. That's it. What will Jesus do? 
And if this is what Jesus will do as a follower of Jesus, do it. But I tell you, there will be consequences. But I tell you again, he will take care of it. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. That's our encouragement, our marching order. So friends, these four help us to stand out. And we mustn't be ashamed of standing out. We mustn't be afraid to stand out, to stand up for Jesus because it is through him, it is his righteousness that makes us who we are, God's sons and daughters by adoption. When you look at that Second uh, Corinthian passage, Paul tells us, when God sees you as a believer in him, in Christ, he sees Jesus because it is the righteousness of Christ that makes us who we are. So friends, Christianity, therefore, is not about cultural, political, or theological viewpoint. It is all about a person. It is all about Jesus. True disciples confess Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that is the challenge. Peter confessed, Jesus, you are the one we've been waiting for. And Jesus said, flesh and blood, right, did not reveal it to him. So Peter's insight comes by revelation, not deduction. His understanding is a gift from God, and he can give you that gift right now. If you haven't actually confessed Jesus as Savior and Lord, he can give you that gift now. It is not by your intellect. No, it's a gift. The Bible makes that very clear. So when Peter said, you are the Christ, Peter was saying, you are the Savior for whom we have waited for centuries. You are the one sent from God to save us. Friends, a statement like Peter's demands commitment. I repeat, a statement like Peter's demands commitment. If Peter truly believes that Jesus is the Messiah, he will have to give his all to Jesus in his service. And that is true for all of us. The Great Commission, therefore, tells us what is expected of us. Jesus says, go ye, right? Preach, teach. Those who believe, baptize them in the name of the blessed Trinity. So the church is most evangelistic 
when she is least concerned about impressing the world. These are not my words. These are words of Ian Murray. We cannot conform to the world and say we are evangelicals. We cannot do that and say we are evangelical or evangelistic. We have to be persecuted for standing with Christ. So in closing, I want to say this. Why are we saved? From Peter's confession, we are saved to serve. Paul makes that very clear. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18. Very, very clear. We are saved to, save, to serve. And Emmy Brunner, in his book, The Divine Imperative, puts it this way. To believe in God is to dedicate our lives to the cause of his kingdom in the world. When a person turns to God desiring to serve him, God directs his or her attention to the world and its need. Singular, need. Brothers and sisters, to be a disciple of Jesus is to give all to Jesus. And to be able to give all to Jesus, we have to invite Jesus and acknowledge him as the one who can transform us. And we allow him to transform us. So, my brothers and sisters, today is your day of dedication, your day of decision, if you haven't done that. Christ says, who do you say I am? If he indeed is your Lord, it means you accept that he gave everything up for you. And he demands nothing less than that. So it is not a graduation. It is an opportunity for commitment. And we will continue to pray for you that as you come to Christ, you will yield everything to Christ and allow Christ to use you in reaching out to others. Amen.